Vodcast. Hey, welcome. Uh, Jeff Manchester here. Fifth episode of the Vodcast. We have a lot of questions to get to. I have no one that I'm interviewing this week, so it's just going to be about you guys and your mixed reviews and everything. And by the way, I'm going to really take advantage of the visual medium that I have here. Um, by that I mean, if you guys have a question about a mixing technique or something like that, instead of just explaining how I would do it, I'm actually going to show you in Ableton because I'm realizing that no one else really does that on their channel. And that's one of the advantages I have doing the vodcast on video rather than audio is that you can really learn visually and I think some tutorials people love those and how to's so we're gonna have a couple today based on the mix reviews that I'm gonna review later on in the show um, if you'd like to have your question answered on the air on the vodcast write to me at vodcastpodcaster at gmail.com or tweet me I'm at at Jeff Manch and use the hashtag vodcast and I will get back to you depending on what's going on in my life. I've been really busy because I was in Ottawa visiting my family and then went to a cottage and then I got back and I had two days to get ready because a buddy of mine came down from the UK and uh, he was here for a week. So finally we're getting back to regular programming and we're going to answer your questions. I have lots of questions. Um, most of them come from one person. Her name is Emily. Emily, thank you for writing in. Uh, and she has a lot of questions. And I think I know, I, I know that feel, Emily. I know where you are. You're about to kind of switch your life around for audio engineering school and you have a lot of questions so I'll do my best to make you feel comfortable and put you at ease and put you on a path that makes you feel confident about your decision to pursue audio as a career um, so she says hello hello and I have a ton of questions about audio engineering I'm looking at a couple of schools already in the LA area before I get to your questions, that's really awesome because there's a lot of great companies in the LA area. There's a lot of great sample library companies. I think Native Instruments has an office over there. Output Sounds, the makers of Rev and Exhale, they're there. And you have all kinds of great video game and film work and TV work. So there's a lot LA has to offer to people like you. So that's already an advantage, I think. Um, depending on where you are, I don't know, maybe if you're in like Glendale or something, there isn't much going on. But anyway, so... Question one is, would you say it would be smarter to get a bachelor's degree, or would I be okay getting an associate's degree? I would say, uh, by the way, I had to look this up. I don't think Canada we have associate's degrees. It's basically just like a two-year program that gets you ready for like a really specific job, whereas a bachelor's like a four-year degree that does something else. We have primarily just like bachelor's programs and then master's and then PhD. We do have college, though, which, by the way, I think college in the States is like kind of like a term for both college and university. So like, what college are you going to? It's like Harvard. Well, that's a university. But in Canada, college is like a college, like a probably like an associate's degree, like a trade kind of thing. Not always a trade thing, but... And then university is university. So they're kind of separate entities here. But I think they mean the same thing over there. It's just a blanket term for, for higher education is college. Anyway, what are we talking about? So... I do, yeah, like I don't know that much about associate's degrees. Um, if an associate's degree prepares you for a specific aspect of the audio industry that you're interested in, then do an associate's degree. It's two years, it's quick. Um, but I would say that there are advantages to doing a four-year program. Let's say you want to be a composer or an arranger or something like that, and you take a music, music degree. That's really cool. And that gets you ready for the fundamentals of audio engineering school. Uh, if you want to design software and plugins, then a software engineering degree for four years is awesome. They might have associate's degrees that are kind of like fast track those. Um, if you want to learn about how to repair gear and create pedals and all that, an electrical engineering degree might be you know right up your alley. So there are advantages to going the traditional route as opposed to the highly specialized audio engineering school route. And I would say, depending on your goals, I think you want to do live sound. I think that's what you said. Like, and that's, by the way, the code for that is sound reinforcement in audio engineering speak. Um, um, I'm pretty sure it is anyway, whatever. Um, then, yeah, there are probably a couple of places that you can go to learn the most that you uh, will need to know before you, you know, get into a highly specialized uh, audio engineering school program for sound reinforcement. I don't think you're going to be able to find like a one-year sound reinforcement school. It's probably going to be you learn a whole bunch of things and then once you get to the third or second term and it's all sound reinforcement, then you'll really sink your teeth into the program and learn as much as you can. But I would say that it depends on your goals and it depends on what you want to do and it depends on how much time you have. Like I'm 30, so I feel like life is kind of speeding up. <laughs> the treadmill is like getting a bit faster so I went I had a whole different life I had I did my undergrad and then I did my master's and I was about to do a PhD and I turned my whole life around to do audio engineering so 
I didn't want to waste any more time. I went right for audio engineering school. Um, so it depends on your own subjective personal path. Uh, I read on your Twitter that you're like a Marine and stuff like that. So um, that's really cool. You've had a you've had a few careers already. So I would say that um, there's probably a lot of amazing audio engineering schools and maybe you don't have to sort of waft around in a four-year program or an associate's degree. Maybe you can go right into like a Berkeley College of Music. I, I don't know anything about these places. Um, maybe they're good, maybe they're not. But um, yeah, I think you've checked out my video for like best practices for audio engineering school. Um, I wouldn't recommend, like, try and stay away from these videos of, like, should you go to audio engineering school or not? Like, it's just, it's going to be a bunch of guys who are, like, I don't know. It's 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 such a stupid clickbaity title for, like, you know, YouTube views and stuff like that. No one can tell you if you should go or not. That's up to you. It's like, should I become a priest? Most priests get, like, a calling, and then they just know to go. It sounds like you're already there. You know that you want to go to audio engineering school. Do your research. Find a couple of schools in your area. I'm sure there are many, many awesome schools. Look for apprenticeships. Look for um, internships, all kinds of stuff, especially in L.A. There must be a lot. Uh, seminars, all that kind of stuff. Really get a feel for it before diving in. And like I said in the video before, go to where you think you're going to learn the most from the people around you. Chances are once you actually go and start going on tours and getting schmoozed and wined and dined by these places. They're going to show you all this fancy gear and stuff, and you might get sucked in by it, but that's just client relations 101. That's that's nothing but, it's a smoke screen, okay? So that you might walk into a school, and they've got like this super fancy 88 Neve console or whatever, and it might really impress you. Well, that's what, that's what studios do. They'll buy gear that doesn't work or no one knows how to use it, so that when they bring a client in, the client's like, oh my gosh, I've only, I've read about those. You have one? And they're like, yeah, we have one. You know, and th then the, the client's like, well, I'm, you got the contract, you got the deal. But chances are maybe no one knows, maybe the console doesn't work anymore. Maybe no one knows how to make it work. Um, so it's just a smokescreen. So just ignore the gear and the flash and go to where you think you're going to learn the most from the people working at that school. If you want to do live sound, look all these people up. Like they ask for a faculty list. There's nothing against the law about that. Just say who's on the faculty, who's teaching this year. Get the names and then just Google them. Spend a night just Googling all these people. And if they're doing things that line up with what you want to do, then that's a school for you. And you'll kind of have to go through the process of learning stuff that might not be that interesting to you. But once you get a chance to learn about live sound or whatever it is, I'm sorry if I keep saying live sound, it's not what you want to do. Then you'll really sink your teeth in and go like, you know, and, and learn the most that you can. And maybe you form uh, a friendship with um, with an instructor and then, when school is over, they'll think of you and be like, oh, yeah, like she, Emily was really, is Emily? I think it's Emily, yeah. Emily, yes, Emily uh, was super keen. I remember her, and it would be awesome. And, you know, mentorships, that's usually what leads to careers more than anything. It's not It's not like, you know, did you go to this school or that school? It's, it's a mentorship. So you form a friendship with someone who is uh, interested in your development, um, your educational development, and your personal development. So... Anyway, maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't. <laughs> maybe I'm setting you up for this like dream scenario and I have no idea. But the other benefit of going to an audio en engineering school is if you want to get an internship somewhere, if you want to get a job, they'll often ask for a diploma from a school, not for like a bachelor's degree or whatever. They don't really care where you went and did your undergrad. They'll want a certificate or diploma from an audio, en audio engineering school that is like on their list of like, you know, proper schools. So think about that okay hopefully that answers your question uh question two from emily is how much experience or knowledge should uh, about equipment and pro tools should i have before going to school i would say you don't need any about any of that stuff like you're already interested in audio engineering school so you're probably like you know you're probably going on youtube you're watching like lynda.com videos you're like sucking all this stuff up and you're sucking up knowledge whether you know it or not but i didn't know anything about pro tools in fact i was really against pro tools for stupid reasons um, I thought that I knew everything about Ableton and that's all I needed to know. And like Ableton's the best. Like, no, Pro Tools is awesome. It's a, an amazing um, audio editing uh, DAW. It's incredible. And it does things that Ableton, I, f I wish it could, but it can't. Now for music production, I prefer Ableton. I might switch to Logic uh, soon because Logic, the gear that I have takes advantage of Logic and Logic takes advantage of the gear that I have and things will run really smooth. Um, but anyway, that's another discussion, but I didn't know anything about Pro Tools, so you don't need to know anything about Pro Tools either. Uh, in fact, many of these audio engineering schools are just like, 
that's just like a giant Pro Tools course with a bunch of other stuff. So they will teach you a lot about Pro Tools. If you want to get like a trial version or something like that of Pro Tools, then go ahead and do it. I would say be careful because maybe you're going to learn like Pro Tools 12 or 13, the one that you buy because you have a student discount or something, and then you'll be using Pro Tools 9 at school, which is not a bad thing. Like Pro Tools 9 is amazing or Pro Tools 10 is amazing or 8 is amazing. It's just that a lot of these schools, for them to update their software, they have to go through an entire like licensing process and agreement with the supplier, and then they have to update all their systems, and their systems need to be updated. Um, they need to be at a certain like capacity to handle the new software update, and then they have to train the staff. So updating software is usually a very laborious, ridiculous process that a lot of schools don't do. Um, so they're stuck with an earlier version of Pro Tools, but the fundamentals are all there. And in fact, like you'll probably learn some, you'll probably learn the fundamentals of any DAW. So that if you walk into a studio and they have like FL Studio, God forbid. But no, I'm FL is fine. No, I'm just joking. Um, then you get you'll know how to use it. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, but chances are, I mean, you're going to learn Pro Tools and it's going to help you a lot because that's what everyone uses. It is the industry standard. And the industry standard for a very good reason. It's very flexible. It's super deep and complex. And uh, once you learn it, um, you'll be uh, you'll be ready to go. You'll have that like Pro Tools tattoo. And some, someone will be like, oh, you know how to use it? Perfect. Let's get started. So um, as for like other geared equipment, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I had like, I had a laptop. I had an interface, I had my Ableton push controller, and I had some monitors and some software in Ableton. That's that's all I had going in. But I, I've been doing music for a little while now, so... But there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know anything about, like op amps and DI boxes and stuff like that. Like, I don't record a lot of real instruments, um, so I was a, at a bit of a disadvantage. I mean, I learned, but a lot of the teachers and instructors at the school were all like, that's kind of their background was like rock and stuff like that. So they kind of took it for granted that some students didn't know about all that stuff and they kind of rushed through it. And also a lot of people I was around, they're all like rock guys. So they knew that stuff and I didn't. So it was a real learning experience for me. And that kind of, that is good and bad because you learn stuff properly that way. It's not like you don't have any, a lot of chefs love this is going somewhere. Trust me. A lot of chefs love like getting new sous chefs that have no experience in the kitchen. And the reason is because they don't have to get rid of any bad habits. They don't have to like retrain them because we're doing things incorrectly. So they're fresh, they're new, and then they can sort of mold them to the specifications that they have for their kitchen, if that makes any sense. So the same thing, I mean, if you don't know anything about equipment, stuff like that, then like it's probably better because maybe you're doing something the wrong way all the time. And then you go to school and it's like, you know, they, they're asking you to basically brush your teeth in a different way, and you've been doing it for years another way. So if you kind of come in with a blank slate, but an interest, like a genuine passion and interest for audio, then you might be at an advantage because then you get to learn the right way to do a bunch of things. Um, so anyway, that might help you, might not, uh, but hopefully I've answered that question. Question three from Emily is, would you recommend having any of your own equipment? So this kind of feeds into the, the first thing that you... Um, that you asked in question two, and I, I don't know, maybe, I say don't go into debt, like save your money for school and save your money for software and education, save your money for like growth, um, but I don't know, if, you, if you're if you interested in live sound, then maybe go to a pawn shop and get like a cheap mixer or something like that, maybe get, get some microphones and just do the best you can online to learn about sound reinforcement, which is, I think sound reinforcement, that's like the fancy audio engineering word for live sound um, and just look up like line arrays and look up delay times for stacking speakers in a row and look up what moisture does to sound waves and how they behave when they travel through you know you know cold versus hot air and all that stuff just you know do the best you can there but you're going to learn all that at school obviously depending on where you go but I would say owning your own equipment is not essential you know not a big deal um, yeah that's just my quick and dirty answer for that one. Number four is, has it been hard for you to find work after education? Ooh, this is a tough question. Um, it's going to be hard for anyone to find work after education. It's going to be hard because that's just the nature of the audio industry. So much has been uh, automated and, um, you know, you have companies like Cloud Bounce and Lander, which I think is left and right, Um that will, for example, put your songs through a preset and then they're mastered. You know, you have 
um, big studios now just desperate for money, renting themselves out for sample libraries. You know what I mean? Like no one's going to record there anymore. People can record pretty much everything with the exception of drums at home. So the positions that used to be available for like, you know, um, recording engineers and tracking and mixing engineers, like a lot of that's done just here, like in a little, this is not a boutique studio, this is a project studio, but it's done from home or I don't know, I don't know what, like I just know that like I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a, a video on mastering pretty soon. I'm actually going to go to a mastering studio and I know that this guy that I'm going to, he's one of the best in the city. He's, he's mastered for Broken Social Scene and a bunch of other really cool bands and stuff and he's hurting big time because um, you know, uh, regular mom and pop kind of audio engineering um, and tracking and recording studios, they just don't have the same budgets they used to have. Like a lot of the dot com companies, like the Landers and out and Cloud Bounces and you know dot com companies, they have like marketing budgets. You know what I mean? They don't have like they don't have like any other budget but marketing. You know, they just have people pouring cash into them. Um, so a lot of a lot of a lot of people are hurting right now. A lot of studios are closing, like in New York, like, you know, where Bowie used to record and all this stuff. They're just closing. They're being condo-fied. Um, a lot of clubs are closing. Fabric is closing. And anyway, so it's it's a really funny time. It, does, it Like, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how good you are, I think. It, talent does count for something, but, like, you're really going to have to be your own little entrepreneur once you graduate school. You, you really, really are. Um, it's a hard industry for anyone, and it's going to be a lot of, like, taking Craigslist and Kijiji jobs and doing a lot of networking and there's a fine line between networking and wasting your friggin life but you're gonna have to do it because uh, there's you have to create your own work I mean it's gonna it's that classic like you know looking for a job is a full-time job like that's what it's gonna have to be and you're gonna have to find a way to sell yourself and communicate your value to people in interesting ways maybe start a YouTube channel or something <laughs> um, Actually, this, the channel doesn't get me any jobs. I'm doing it because I really enjoy, uh, honestly, I, honest to God, I really enjoy helping people and taking what I've learned at school and getting it out there for people who maybe can't afford to go to school or whatever. Um, and hopefully you guys know that that's true. I answer like every question, I read every comment, blah, blah, blah. So um, I would say it's very hard and you need to go into any profession, but especially audio engineering with no illusions, no illusions at all about the kind of industry that you're walking into and the kind of stuff that you have to deal with. And um, the kind of stuff that you have to deal with, especially as a woman, Emily. Uh, I, I'm i not trying to scare you or anything. Um, sounds like you have a marine background, which is pretty cool, but you're gonna, you're gonna get out of school and you're gonna meet a lot of sexism. It's a boys club out there. Um, and uh, so I'd say go in with no illusions about that and just walk into your internship or wherever with a you know, sword and a shield and get ready to learn a lot and get ready to, to be welcomed into an environment that is predominantly male dominated. So um, that's going to be, I think, an extra layer of, of garbage that you're going to have to deal with, maybe. Um, I'm, I'm not saying it's all like that, and I've never experienced it firsthand, but uh, I interviewed Sam Corrin of Isotope. She's a demand generation manager over there, and uh, she paints um, a really interesting picture of what it's like. Or what it can be like and so I think you've watched that video so that's a, a pretty good resource for you and there's a whole bunch of other I don't want to get you discouraged because there's a lot of amazing female audio engineers out there but there aren't that many um, that talk about it uh, so anyway that's what I would say it, it is hard it's a really crappy field and I mean even Google came out like a few months ago with some little melody that their computer system wrote so like maybe my job will be in the toilet in a couple of years and I'll be like a mortgage broker or something awful awful thought last question have you ever had or have you had any live sound experiences and if so what was it like do you have any tips thanks for your time Emily all right this is something that I can speak a lot about because I did have some live sound experience and I don't like it at all. Um, I really enjoy, like, I should say that there's, there's one engineer, I'm forgetting his name, he's a mixing engineer, and that's how he got his start in the industry was he mixed all of these bands at this one bar that he went to and they all came up and they all had, like, you know, 
their gear and everything and that's how we got to know them and then he was like he would eventually sort of say oh by the way i'm a mixing engineer if you need anyone or i'm a tracking engineer or whatever and they'd be like yeah so that's a great way to meet bands and get work that was genius but for me i can't do i can't do live sound it just kills my ears it kills my ears so much um, and you, it's not the kind of stuff you can do, I think, with like earplugs. You can't calibrate a room and, um, you know, mic a kick and balance levels. You can't do that with ear protection, I don't think. Maybe maybe some can after a while, but for me, it just ruined my ears. I couldn't stand it. I was in a, you know, we got a little bit of live sound experience when we were working with, um, we get we got to go to a club in, in Toronto called the Rivoli and they have live sound there. It was a lot of fun. They have you know cool like gates and all this stuff and it was a lot of fun. But like I I just I had to leave halfway through because like I couldn't hear anything. And the guy who was the guy who was giving us a tutorial was like this total like hippie like all right turn this up and just crank this and like everyone everyone like in my class was like oh my god I can't hear anything. We're all like trying to pay attention and they kept like you know doing the kick test and snare test and cymbals and oh my god. I get a headache now just thinking about it. It's not for me. And my ears, I mean, you have eyelids, but you don't have earlids. Like, you have to, hearing is like an essential part of being alive and being human and knowing when danger is coming and all this stuff. Like, they're so crucial to your job. And I don't know if you watched, I had another video earlier where I, I did like a tips to being a, a better composer and it was all about health and stuff. I just, I stopped wearing headphones recently. I just, I gave them up probably in January after I graduated from school. So I'm really precious about my ears and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, picky about them. So I just stopped uh, wearing headphones and headgear and all this stuff. I, I use them sometimes to monitor and to reference stuff, but like no more now. I'm not putting my ears in jeopardy. So live sound, just not for me. But I should say that there are a lot of jobs in live sound. There are a lot of jobs. Front of house mixing. Um, you can do stadiums. And I mean, there's so many festivals now, and they're just, I think they're looking for a lot of people to do sound reinforcement there, whether it's like, you know, getting a line array set up or speaker placement or anything like that. Um, even getting the stage set up, like a stage plot set up when the bands come in, that's a cool live sound thing. I, I shouldn't say that all live sound is like you're standing there while someone's hitting um, a snare drum. There's other aspects to live sound. Uh, and it's a great way to meet people too. If you work at a festival or something and you're, you're loading in or whatever, you get to meet a lot of really cool people. And depending on what you're doing outside of live sound, that can lead to, like I said, tracking jobs, mixing jobs, mastering jobs. But I would say... It's not for me, but it might be for you. And if it is for you, awesome, pursue it, but be really careful about your ears and protect them because that's what's going to be making you money going forward. Okay? So hopefully I've answered all those questions in a way that satisfies you and you're happy with. And so feel free to write in again if you have any more questions. Good luck. And, uh, yeah, let's get to the other parts of the show. So I have a question here that comes to me from uh, Slobodan. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name, buddy. Not going to do it. Um, he says, hi, with a smiley face. Hello. I'm sending you two compositions and mixes masters. Pick which one you want to use for the podcast. I'm sending both. They're very different in a sense. One is pure acoustic, done in my room, which isn't really sound treated, but well-placed furniture kind of helps. Another is made in digital. It's from Contact. So I'm going to review. I'm going to review. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the acoustic one. I just, I was, I get a lot of like uh, intense, epic stuff. Um, and I heard the acoustic one. I'm like, oh, this is fun. Let's talk about this. And you also have um, another sort of question about, you say, either way, there's nothing specific I'm looking uh, for to be reviewed other than kind of all-around review. You pick whichever one you want for the podcast, but I'd, but I'd like, if it's possible, to at least respond to me in an email regarding both since they're very different. I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to look for regarding mixing mastering since all the stuff I do is by ear. And I guess he, he talks about clipping and um, and uh, all that stuff. And he talks about the gear that he has. And he has a question for future clips, which I will get to. He says, question for future clips. I would love if you could make a video regarding LA parallel compression or one regarding mix bus compression. I've been reading a book, Mixing Secrets by Mike Sr. And I've found that there's uh, that there's engineers who like to mix like this. And then he goes on about this, this big elaborate mixing way. Sorry, there's a lot of words here. And I just want to get through this. Um, Basically, um, I'm going to review one of the songs uh, here, 
and then I'm going to show you the proper way to do New York style compression in an Ableton tutorial. It's going to follow this mix review, but first we're going to hear your song. I'm going to talk about it a little bit and point out some of the things that I noticed, and then I'll do the uh, real proper. There's wrong and a right way to do um, New York style compression. I'm going to show you the right way, and uh, and then I'll get to the next question. Okay, so let's have a listen to Slobodan's song. Thanks so much for sending that in. Um, a couple things right off the bat. First off is um, when you're recording these kind of things, you want to make sure that everything's in tune. I think the guitar that was like finger picking or whatever, I think it was slightly out of tune. And this could be because when you did the first take of just strumming uh, and then you went back and did an overdub with the, the tuning, maybe the guitar went out of tune a touch. It's always important to always tune up in between tr uh, takes. Always, always tune up, even if you haven't played that much. But especially if you, if you haven't, you know, replaced the strings on your guitar or the action is a bit off or whatever, it's going to affect the tuning. So you want to make sure that you do that. So in my ears, it was just a little bit out of tune. The other thing is when you're going to be putting music up on SoundCloud and people and stuff like that, people just can't wait to like tear it down and make fun of it and just trash it. Even though what you're doing is like a, a really uh, challenging thing. You're putting music out there for the world. It's almost like going to the gynecologist. You know what I mean? It's like, look at everything. This is me. Um, don't give them any opportunities to sort of come at you for anything. And by that, I mean, uh, there. when you started to get into it with the finger picking, there was a couple notes that you kind of missed. I would say that when you're recording, I mean, it's not live, right? You get to record, try and make it sound as best as you possibly can. I know that acoustic instruments are difficult because they require, you know, uh, a certain mindset and it's kind of uh, terrifying to be playing to a click and everything. I'm not sure if you were or not. It was very in time, but try and really make a professional polish sound, meaning hit every note that you can. If you mess up a take, just go back and redo it and make sure that it's as pristine and great as possible. Now, if you're going for like a sort of a, um, a more, 
um, how do I say this, loose and just sort of out there kind of track that wasn't conforming to any kind of pop standard, then that's cool. But I'd say anything that you're putting out there, like execution is number one. Put out a website. If you have a typo on there, people are going to like just judge you based on one silly typo, even though the whole site's great. It you know loads quickly, looks great on mobile. It doesn't matter. You have one typo that totally that for better or for worse just eliminates a lot of credibility so I would say when you're putting these things online really make sure that they sound as polished as possible especially when you want someone to be like another band say to be like oh check out my song you send it over and they're just like this doesn't sound it sounds like it's still in development like it sounds like it's still kind of a draft so I would say yeah make sure things are really polished and super tight before you go and send it out on the plus side um, you got a great guitar sound and I saw the, the gear that you were talking about that you used and it's not that not that elaborate and that that's that's great because um it shows that with not that much money but with good songwriting ability and good intuition for what works and what doesn't work and you know recording at home you can get a really good sound i would say experiment with a, a lot of the mic placement it could be that you placed your mic at the same place for both the finger pick one and um the strum one it sounds like you had the same amount of room tone meaning maybe the mic was a little bit far away um, although maybe the mic was closer during the finger picking stuff, but I would say experiment, experiment, experiment. And also, um, just getting different takes and blending them together and making sure that they conform to a click is really important. Uh, if you, if you find that you're late on one take or another, maybe try nudging things back and forth, go into Pro Tools, use Elastic Audio to make sure that everything lines up properly. But again, if you're going for a loose kind of feel, then that's totally cool. Um, but I just think that this is a, a, a performance that could really benefit from some polish and another couple of edits, and then you're good to go. Now, as far as um, New York style compression, the proper way to do it, why don't we jump into that right now? And then, uh, yeah, that'll be a, the first little tutorial that I've made. And I'll just make it really, really, really simple. We'll do drums, bass, and maybe a melody of some kind. And that way, you learn what it is, and... Uh, some of your questions will be answered. Sorry, I can't answer all your questions because there's a lot in that email, but I wanted to make sure I got a mixed review and a tutorial in, so let's get into the tutorial. New York style compression the right way. All right, let's get into real New York style compression. The reason this is called New York style compression is Bobby Ozinski, famous mixing engineer and just amazing audio guru in general, a real living legend. Um, I think back in the 80s or 90s, everyone that he knew from New York was doing this compression technique. Just a way to get everything sort of fatter and thicker and juicier and all the rest of it. But a lot of people, especially on the web, do it the wrong way. I'm going to show you how to do it the right way, as taught by Bobby Ozinski himself. So, first of all, I'm going to play the track that I have set up here. It's just a bunch of loops from Sample Magic's Chill Wave 2 library. Okay, really basic, simple stuff. Now, typically, New York style compression happens on the drums. So I have one track here um, with drums, and this tip is for you, Slobodan, by the way. Hopefully, this will help you sort of get a better, um, get a better, thicker sound when you're doing your stuff. I think in Reaper is what you said. If I solo the drums, it's a pretty cool sound. Now, if you had a bunch of drum tracks, you would send them all to a submix. And then said that submix, which has the sum of your hi-hats, toms, snares, all that stuff, send that to uh, a return. That's the first step we want to do here is take the drums. We want to set up a return. In Ableton, it's very simple to do. We just right-click here, make a return track. I've already created one, and I have it called NYC for New York style. And I have a, a compressor here set up. So I have a very sort of intense ratio. I'm going 14 to 1, which is almost in limiting territory. That's what you want. I have a slow attack, or actually a fast attack, and a slow release. So we want this to be pretty dramatic. Um, also, I'm not doing a makeup gain. I'm going to disable that, and I'm just going to control the gain right here. And I have it set to sort of the way that I like it. You can set it up how you like it, but just take a look here. So 14 to 1, uh, attack, release settings that way. Auto is off, and so is makeup. And I have it set to RMS, root mean squared. I think it's just a smoother sounding sound. So. Let's take our drums and let's slowly send them by way of the D knob here um, to the New York style compressor and let's hear the difference that that makes.
So already we're getting a very dramatic difference there. In fact, I might turn the ratio down to about uh, maybe 11 or 12 or something. You can just type 11 here like that. So you notice we're getting the snap from the hi-hat. The kick is coming through a lot more punchy and we're, there's no, we've, we've gained staged appropriately here so there's no we're not going to the red anywhere we have to make sure we keep track of our meters here this meter here which shows you the signal going in from the drum bus into the compression we're not peaking there we're not peaking here we're in a, a good sort of uh, situation if I solo the drums and bring in that sound let's hear it again I'm gonna bring in the uh, I'm gonna send the signal to the New York style compressor Nice pumping effect there. Unsolo it. Before and after. This is before. And after. Okay, but we're not done yet. The We're not done yet. The proper New York style compression has an EQ inserted after the compressor. And that's what I've done here. I've just gone to Ableton's EQ and I've dragged it over. In fact, let's just do it from scratch. I've dragged it over like this. There, and we'll blow it up nice and big. And what I'm gonna do is just go in, drag my mouse around here, and I'm gonna add about three dB of gain at the 100 cycle mark. So make sure we go to three. Style them in, yeah, it sounds about right. And I'm gonna fix the cue a little bit. Whoops, I'm over here. Yeah, I have a narrow cut at 3 dB. I'll just write three in there to be extra specific for the sake of the tutorial. And I'm also gonna add 3 dB of gain over here. I'm actually gonna change this um, to that because I don't really want a shelf. I'm going to look for about 10k. You see this down here? This over there? That'll tell you where you are in the cycles. So I'm going to go to about 10k here and then add 3 dB of gain as well. And that's just going to add some punch to the low end and some snap to the top end of our compressor. I'm also going to fix the cue as well right there. There we go. Okay. Whoops. There we go, I'll just double click to reduce this. And now I'm gonna play it without it and then with it. So have a listen. Have a listen for the drums. So bypass it. And bring it back in. Just solo the drums now. And unsolo them with the EQ off. Bring it back in. Let's take everything off. Just on their own. Bring the compressor in. There's the punch, and now we get the snap with the EQ. Okay, now for the real New York style compression, it doesn't end there. Real New York style compression encompasses not just the drums, but the bass. We're gonna send the bass with D right to the same New York style compressor here with the same EQ settings, everything's gonna be the same and we're gonna blend that into taste as well. So that's the real New York style compression, let's do it right now. Back off the compression a bit. 
Sounds kind of hollow, kind of thin there. And we bring it in. There we go. In the mix. So this is before. Turn the whole bus off. Bring it back in. Okay, so that's proper New York style compression. We had a bus, we had a return. You call it New York style. I play with my ratio settings 11 to 1. Um, attack release settings down there. Wet all the way. RMS. I adjust my gain accordingly. And then I have my bass, my drums going into it. And I add an EQ, 3 dB of gain at 100 hertz and then 3db of gain at 10,000 hertz. Anyway, that's real New York style compression. Hopefully that helps you slow it down with your mixes. Um, so thanks for watching the tutorial. Um, that is proper New York style compression. And let's move on to the last bit here, which is another mix review. And this come, comes to us from Rhett, who got me at my personal email address. <laughs> I don't know how, but it's all good. He says, hey, Jeff, want to say that I really appreciate your content and you're a fantastic audio engineer as well as a cool dude. Thank you very much, Rhett. Keep it up, please. Oh, and thanks for showing me the Omega N and A pre-modelers. Uh, Those are from Kush Audio, and I did a video on that some time ago. So he says, if you're still doing mixed critiques, I'd love you to take a look at a track or two of mine and tell me why something always sounds missing. There's guitar, bass, keys, drums, and sometimes vocal, but it sounds like sounds brittle and airy, like there's a missing piece. And he gave me a couple examples. I'm going to review one. Let's play it now. And he goes, I sincerely appreciate it if you can let me know what's up. Thanks a ton. So let's play one of them. By the way, Rhett, I had to screen capture your song. Uh, if you're going to send me something, make sure that I can download it and then I can actually play it with the in the iMovie file that I used to record this because otherwise I can't like stream a song from SoundCloud. So hopefully that's okay. I just I captured the the video uh, and then converted it into audio so I could download it. So anyway, I'm going to review the mix and then I'm going to show you a tutorial on how I think you can get back some of the bite that I think you're missing. And if it isn't really what you're looking for, then it'll be a tutorial nonetheless and people can learn from it. So let's have a listen to Rhett's song. I only I'm only doing one. And uh, let's get into it. Okay, uh, I really like this track a lot. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's really silly, and it reminds me a lot of like Guided by Voices, B Thousand. If you haven't heard that record, you should. It's really good. Uh, great lo-fi quality to it. So I think some of the bite that you're missing is mostly in the bass. Um, and I'm going to show you a little technique on how I would get some of that bite back. It's a technique that a lot of audio engineers do, and hopefully after you see it, 
you will be able to apply it to your track. Um, sorry, I'm not going to do two. I just, it's going to, it's like, it can be two hours if I answer everyone's questions and do like a million mix reviews. So, but this is basically how to get a sharper, clearer, punchier bass sound. You don't need to re-record the bass and I'll show you what I'm talking about right now. All right. Uh, hey, Rhett, this tutorial is for you. I think that one of the things that could use a little bit of, um, sprucing up is the bass in your tracks. I think the guitars are a lot of fun, the drums are a lot of fun, but we can add some definition and punch to the bass. And I'm going to show you a little trick. It's a bass definition uh, trick. And basically what we do is we add grit and depth and dirt to the bass track by taking the bass, duplicating it, high passing it, separating it into different frequency spectrums, different areas of the frequency spectrum. And then we sort of EQ and distort them to taste and use a bit of, bit of compression too. So I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Let's just start off with the track as it is. Nothing's on it. It's uh, some samples. Okay, so that's it just on its own. Let's walk into the tutorial here sort of to add a bit of definition because right now the bass is just kind of playing second fiddle to the drums, which are really exciting and interesting and punchy. So first thing I'm going to do is go to this bass track here. I'm going to duplicate it. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to change the color because this is probably red too. Just double click. Let's go green. And then I'm going to go into the track and I'm going to add an EQ from Ableton. EQ8, nothing fancy. And I'm going to select a cut here, very deep cut. Oops, I didn't select it. There we go. And I'm going to cut at about 250 hertz. Maybe, yeah, 254. That sounds good. I'll solo it. And I'm only interested in the high frequency information at this point, so have a listen. Okay, so before it was this. But I want to get some of the snap back. I might bring it back a little bit. Yeah, right there. And just to bring out the snap, I'm going to add a compressor right after it. And I'm just going to do this to taste here with my, my mouse. I'm hearing a little bit of, a little bit of a kind of phasing and white noise, and I don't really want that. I don't want too much of that anyway. So when I add the compressor, I'm getting the most out of the high-end information. It's also a fun way to sort of investigate how the tracks were, were made. When you add a compressor, you're sort of putting a flashlight on the sound design. So I like that. I'm going to go back to my original bass track. I'm going to add an EQ again. And I'm going to do a cut right around the place where I did uh, a high pass, so around 250, right? Right around there. And let's have a listen to that soloed. So that's just the just the low end information, which is pretty intense. And the next thing I'm going to do is add a kind of bass extender, a sort of bass amplifying uh, low end extender uh, plugin. And I have a really good one. It's pretty cheap. I think it's 49 bucks or something like that. If I can find it, there we go. Refuse low ender. Now have a listen to this. I'm going to put it on the, the bass setting. I'm going to blend the. Uh, what this is doing is basically it's, it's just. You guys have heard of um, sort of adding a sub to add, you know, bassy definition to your kick or whatever. This is just adding those cycles automatically and it lets you sort of blend uh, certain frequencies in and out and you can affect the bass versus the direct signal and. You can add a little gate here and all this stuff. Let's just play it instead of me just blathering on about it. So we're getting a lot of low end here. If I unbypass this. And I'm seeing that I'm peaking a little bit here. So we got to be careful about our gain staging. I'm going to turn this down a little bit. Make sure that I'm not peeking here. Because that's bad news if I am.
There we go. And I might just add a compressor to catch the peaks. There we go. Proper gain staging. Nothing's going to the red. Let's hear it without it. Or not without it, but let's hear it. Everything in. I even go to this bass and just increase some of the, bring it down a little bit. So if, if I just want to show you the before and after, I'm just going to duplicate this and I'm going to take away any of the fancy processing that we had and just solo these two. Before. I should turn this up a little bit so it's cheating, but before and then after. The bass is way more present, has a kind of new tone to it, way more low-end information. And there we go. So there's a little way to add some definition to your bass. And the first thing we do is take the bass, we duplicate it, we high-pass it, add a little bit of compression to bring out the transients in the high end of the frequency spectrum. Not the transients, but all the information, the, the timbral information. And then we take the original bass track. We would do the opposite, which is low pass it down here, where we high pass it up here in the duplicate track. I added a low ender. You can do this with a lot of other plugins, but the low ender is nice and cheap. And a bit of compression to control the transients. And that is a way to add sort of some bass definition without having to re-record your bass or anything like that or get any sample replacement. Just taking what's there and enhancing it. Okay, thank you so much for watching the fifth episode of the podcast. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Jeff Manch. Write a question with the hashtag vodcast. I will answer it. You can also write to me at vodcastpodcaster at gmail.com. More than happy to take your questions, do mix reviews, blah, blah, blah. Uh, for the next vodcast, I will hopefully have uh, a really awesome mastering engineer. So please get me your mastering questions. Uh, there's a guy named David who has asked me a question a while ago. I've just been waiting. I've been holding on your question until I can get this mastering engineer and then ask it to him. Uh, but if you have questions about mastering, how to master at home, best practices, what kind of room do I need, what kind of equipment do I need, blah, 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 blah. How loud should my mixes be? I'm uploading something to SoundCloud. How loud should it be? Blah, blah. Like, get those questions into me, and I will totally ask them of this amazing mastering engineer who I've been tracking down for a while, and hopefully we'll get him on the show. Um, thanks again for watching. Take it easy. Bye-bye.